0: cnn breaking news
1: breaking news from show low arizona 18 years in the making wes you're on the scene now what are you learning
0: well chris developing at this hour linux users can now rest easy the ancient convoluted sco versus ibm legal mess that sought to determine who owns unix and perhaps who has a claim over our beloved linux may be about to end With IBM agreeing to pay $14.5 million, if this goes through, after all that's happened, seems like a heck of a deal. At least, compared to what they paid for Red Hat.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes, and say hi to Brent, too. Hello, hello. Hello, Brent. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru, the leader in learning for cloud, Linux, and other modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses, thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a CloudGuru.com. Coming up on the show today, sometimes things just don't go as planned. Today, we'll talk about a backdoor we had to build into the studio that we set up after our WireGuard server went down. It's a remote rescue, and one of our favorite open source tools is going to save the day. And it is a special edition of the show because we're recording early off air in between storms here in uh, Sholo, Arizona. (laughs) Um, We decided to do a day early this week so that way Wes could go camping and so that way I can make the final push into Tucson, Arizona, also known as Tucson, where hopefully, hopefully I'll get my RV slides finally fixed. My living room has been broken since May and my kitchen slides and going out. It's a long story. So today I'm in Sholo at the Bison Golf Club is where I've been parked. Um, it's really nice here. Have you seen any bison? No, but I have seen golfers about the size of a bison. <laughs> but, um, no, unfortunately it's stormy. I'm kind of in like this strange signal vortex zone too. Some of my devices are working. Some of my devices aren't even when they're on the same carrier. I'll have two AT&T devices right next to each other. One's working. One isn't. Verizon just comes and goes. There's no sprint service here at all. The only kind of working one right now is T-Mobile, but it's dropping packets. So really kind of rough. It seems like overall older devices are connecting more. Um, but at least I'm, I'm in Arizona in precious, precious shade where it is not crazy hot. Cause I'm like up in the northeastern area, I guess you could say. And, uh, it actually is a reasonable, like, 80 degrees here. <laughs> but, you know, with the show goes on, and uh,
0: Wes, you're about to go camping. Indeed. Don't worry, though. It's not as easy. I'm having some difficulties, too. Originally, I was planning this camping trip to go up in the North Cascades, an area I know you love a lot, Chris. It's a beautiful area. It's one of my favorite spots to go. Unfortunately, it's basically on fire. So we've pivoted at the last minute, canceled all of our bookings, got some new bookings over in the Mount Rainier area. I'm definitely looking forward to some time away out in nature, but it is a struggle.
1: Mount Rainier is not a bad way to go. And then Brent, you just got back from being out in nature. In fact, you were at the world's highest elevation
2: KOA. Yeah, I, since leaving you, I just Couldn't help but have that uh, desire to go back to a KOA. So Everybody loves an RV campground. You got to get a fix. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Heather and I found a a pretty cool one that was just an hour away. And it turned out to be the tallest, uh, well, I guess highest altitude at 10,000 feet, which is I thought was going to be really great uh, until I couldn't sleep at night because I was gasping for air all night. Oh, really? Uh, So, well, I'm not used to the Colorado Heights yet,
1: I guess. Lowland Brent, good to know. Yeah, you you need like an adjustment period when you go up to 10,000 feet. Like a hard, because if you go, because Denver's what, 5,200?
2: Yeah, Colorado Springs like 60, 62 or something like that.
1: Right. So then you go from 6,200 up to 10,000 feet. You need to stop like at the 8,000 feet and hang out for like a day or
2: two. (laughs) Yeah, no one told me this and everyone else seemed to be fine with it. But uh, apparently
0: I am just sensitive. You're just hooked on that oxygen sucker. Yeah. Just
1: spend years smoking, and then your lung capacity is normalized to be reduced, and you're fine, you know? Oh, that's
2: the ticket. <laughs> Anyways, we had a campfire, which I never thought, but also suffers from, like, lack of air. So that's it was a little harder to get going yeah. than normal. But it was a it was a great, fun experience. Would totally recommend it. It was in a place called Cripple Creek, if anyone's looking for it.
1: Great. I, I have kind of learned a little bit about the difficulty in moving high volumes of air just when it comes to vehicle cooling, like when you're climbing passes and stuff. The vehicle has to work harder to move air across the radiator and that kind of stuff. So it's a serious deal. Maybe next time you can go up for a couple of days and adjust or something. But uh, I'm glad you were able to make it back down the mountain to join us. We have a little bit of community news to get into. Not a ton, but one of our favorite tools out there, Ventoy, has a nice little update starting with version 1.0.36, It
0: has a web-based user interface. Hmm. Yeah, Ventoy is already pretty darn amazing, especially if, like us, you want to try the latest and greatest distros as soon as they come out. Or maybe you're just a distro hopper by trade and you love having a thumb drive of Clonezilla and Rescue Discs, but you don't want to have to keep overriding that disc all the time. Ventoy is the tool for you. You just plug it in, you run their little script on it, and you've got it going. But you have to be a little more comfortable with the command line. And that's where this new web GUI comes in. Yeah, web UI. At first, I was like, why? Because they already have a standard graphical. They have
1: a command line. But then I thought, you know, actually, I could see this being useful on a headless system. Maybe you want to be able to produce these Ventoy installs. Like, for example, our our studio server, which is down at the moment. We'll get to that more in a moment. I store all the ISO images we use centrally on there. So you could see maybe kicking off a process like this from the NAS that already has all your ISO images
0: too. And then you copy them over to the new Ventoy creation. Anything that saves me a trip to the garage, I will take.
1: <laughs> it looks like they're just including that new Ventoy script. You just run Ventoy web.sh fires up a web server on local port 24, 680. And then you just point your web browser over to it. Easy peasy. Something we'll play with probably when I get back, but I wanted to mention in the meantime, uh, there has been a new website launched by the GNOME project designed to highlight GNOME apps. It features a curated overview all built in the GNOME philosophy, so applications that really sort of embrace the GNOME design. It looks like a pretty good list.
0: Yeah, Sophie Harold announced today that apps.gnome.org is coming online. They hope that with apps for GNOME, it will increase participation in the different apps and projects, lower the barrier for getting involved with the GNOME project, and it's just one place to host up-to-date information on GNOME applications and some stuff that might not fit over at Flathub.
1: I'll be honest, when I saw this, my first reaction was like, well, why is the GNOME project making a competitor to Flathub? Like, Do we need two application directories? But as I dug through the site, I realized they're actually adding something new here. They featured a lot of apps I've never even really seen before. And uh, it kind of builds the case that they have an ecosystem, and then they they point to their wider ecosystem, the circle, as they call it. And then what they are doing, which I appreciate, is when they have an app that they list that is available on Flathub, they are linking to that Flathub page.
0: Uh, that's great, because that's probably how I'm going to install it anyway.
2: One of my questions is, how are people going to find the website if they haven't found the apps yet? <laughs> I guess maybe... Because they're just
0: browsing around the Gnome website? I, I don't know. Maybe something that in future documentation, you know, there'll have be a handy link there of a place to get started. But you're right. That's probably an open question. The magic of SEO? <laughs> Maybe that's how.
1: Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get $100 in credit, 60 days on a new account, and you go there to support the show. It lets them know you heard about it here, and our show is worth Linode's time. And that also helps us, go, you know, keep going. That... Really, a year into being independent, that really is a node I like to hit right now. And I think Linode is a perfect partner for us to work with. I can easily and enthusiastically recommend them. We use them through and through for so much stuff. Our our daily production now is weaved into Linode. And it's obvious. You get 11 data centers to choose from. They have super fast rigs, very fast network connections. They are their own ISP. And then all of that is backed by the best customer support in the business. And when that matters, man, does that matter? Like, makes all the difference. I mean, when your system is down, good customer support, well, that's going to make it or break it, isn't it? And at every step of the way since Linode started in 2003, they've asked themselves how they can use Linux to accomplish their next task. That love and dedication is baked into the product. And if you're a longtime Linux user, you're going to notice that kind of stuff. Us long timers can tell. You know, You can sniff it out when somebody really knows the product or when they're just using it to make a buck. I just recently set up a box for some backup services in case our studio server went down, which (laughs) it is down right now. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. And it, it was just invaluable. I turned the box off. I didn't leave it running. But as soon as I realized the studio server was down, I logged in my Linode dashboard, turned it on, and got the essentials back up and going again. I also use Linode to prototype ideas for the show or services before we launch them. And you'd be surprised what you can get done with a $5 a month Linode. And their prices is 30 to 50% cheaper than major cloud providers out there, so it's totally worth your time to look at. it. with $100, you're going to really be able to kick the tires. I mean, that's real money. So head over to linode.com slash unplugged. Get that $100 for your new account and try this stuff out. Go build something. Try out an open source project you've always wanted to play with or maybe learn something. And I think you'll be impressed with the entire thing that eventually you're going to put something into production. There are a lot of ways to host something, but there's no company like Linode out there doing it. Independent since 2003, investing in community events and projects and supporting your favorite Linux podcast. Go see why we choose Linode every single time we deploy something. Linode.com slash
0: unplugged. When I woke up this morning... I had a bad feeling about today. Now, there's a lot going on. I'm still not packed for my camping trip. But the thing that really told me something, or maybe a few things were off, was this voicemail.
1: Good morning, Mr. Payne. (laughs) We made it to Arizona. Uh, We are actually just a little bit outside of Flagstaff. Um, I think we're in a town called Show Low. Anyways, all the reason why that matters is because I have horrible cell service here. So I'm not actually positive, but I I think WireGuard is down at the studio. Um, I'm wondering if you could check from your landline connection, because it could just be that I'm having carrier issues here. But I suspect WireGuard's down, and um, well, that's going to be a problem for the show we have later today. <laughs> so good morning, and uh, let me know what you see.
2: And from what I heard, WireGuard was indeed down. Indeed, the whole server seems to be down at this point. So the... From
1: what we can piece together, and it's still, um, you know, rough <laughs> at this point, is it, it seems that maybe about five days ago, just as we finished the last batch of productions that use the studio, because we record some stuff like self-hosted and LAN, just direct person to person. We don't go through the studio, but all the live shows, they all go through the studio. And it seems like the day after we finished doing our last batch of live shows, the power went out at the studio for a little bit. No idea why at this point, but any system that wasn't on a UPS seems to have rebooted all around the same time. Um And we don't have a complete picture at this time, but it appears that the studio server did not come back online for some reason. And so as a result of a bunch of other things also being down, WireGuard, which also runs on that same server, is down for us. Which is how we manage the live stream, which is how we manage the mixer and all of that when we're on the road. It's how we manage everything. Yeah. And we knew the server was on shaky ground. So we, you know, we put some thought into a plan B. It just turns out we ended up needing to put
0: that plan B into production in a way we didn't expect. Of course, fakeness had to die just after we'd used it last, if we'd discovered it earlier. I mean, I could have just gone up to the studio and, and at least investigated, but we didn't realize till we needed it again, a.k.a. this morning when we were already out of time. And I think that's kind of showing the limitations of our centralized VPN model. It's kind of a classic setup, right? We've got one box that's running the VPN. It's sort of the, the ingress point for the entire studio network. Most of the time, that works pretty darn well. Honestly, it's worked pretty darn well for this whole trip. And we do have a few alternate backdoors, but honestly, they all come with a fair bit of downside.
1: Yeah, a couple of our go-to easy ones. I've really been liking Rust Desk. I've only recently on this trip realized that it seems that the T-Mobile network actually blocks the Rust Desk connection. (laughs) I don't know why, but Rust Desk is like a great open source team viewer alternative. That's been killer. And then sometimes we'll just use something simple like um, an SSH jump host and our favorite little maneuver there is to configure a systemd service that keeps that connection alive. So if that SSH connection drops or the box reboots, systemd actually reconnects back up to our Linux jump host. And that is a quick and easy way in. But you know, I, I I can't really manage
0: everything with those options. It also means you need a little bit of infrastructure on your side, right? You got to remember the commands to get through the jump host or otherwise you're manually SSHing through a few different things. That's not great when you're trying to connect on the one device, which is probably an iPad for some reason, that you have available to get back into the studio. Yeah, that actually did happen this time. Um, I have devices
1: that just aren't working, but the iPad was one of them that does have a built-in connection and is working, but it's kind of useless for that stuff. You know, like, okay, great. Well, <laughs> I can do nothing with that connection. I can't even tether. So it was, it was definitely one of those moments where I felt very limited
0: by the set of circumstances because if I could fire up WireGuard on that tablet, I could at least manage the mixer. The funny part here, too, right, is that we don't actually... I mean, it'd be nice for NAS to be online for a variety of reasons, but we don't actually need it for what we're trying to get done today. And that's where we want more connectivity. I want to be able to just jump from, whether it's on my laptop, whether I'm just on my phone, I want a backdoor into the studio. What comes to mind for us is a tool we played with way back in episode 329, Nebula.
1: The last time we talked about Nebula on the show... It really clicked with people. There's some topics that really take hold of a chunk of the audience, and Nebula was definitely one of them. Kelvin wrote into the show. He said he never looked back since we first talked about it.
2: Yeah, Kelvin writes, I use it to put all my extended family's computers on the same network, so if and when they have any issues, I can do something. Back when I heard about Nebula, the first time you covered it in 2019, I gave it a try and never looked back. I mostly use it for support, but occasionally we copy files back and forth, like photos shot in raw or duplicity backups. Performance-wise, I doubt I pushed any boundaries, but no interactions feel slow beyond the initial connection. I don't think there were any usable phone apps back when I first installed it, but they do exist now. It's been rock solid ever since. That said, there are some issues you might run into. Not sure if it has built-in systemd integration yet, but writing a systemd unit file was simple enough. I also had one oopsie moment when the certificate I generated expired before I could update it. Those issues aside, Nebula single-handedly enabled me switching a whole house load to Linux because they could always bother me and I could help remotely. (laughs) I mean, the
1: simplicity of having everything on one virtual LAN even just for friends and family, is powerful. It's just so straightforward. It's really simple. But then you imagine tying in multiple data centers together or multiple facilities like maybe the RV, the studio, and a machine at Wes's house, and you could really start to see how Nebula can be powerful. And it has some built-in firewall stuff
0: inside Nebula as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that really stood out to me was you could have multiple use cases. And I mean, Chris, you've got a whole mobile house that you you know, might want to have access to whenever you want. I've got machines over here. We've got a whole bunch of studio machines and things running on Linode. And it can just be complicated, right? We haven't integrated all of those things into a cohesive network right now, especially not with WireGuard because, well, we need a lot of different tunnels set up. There are some WireGuard mesh solutions, but Nebula... It was designed with that exact use case in mind. Yeah.
1: And one of the other things I think you and I both really like about Nebula is it brings together a lot of existing concepts and technologies, you know, existing encryption standards, security groups, certificates, tunneling. It brings each one of those individual pieces together in a way that hasn't really been packaged up before. And then they just make it really simple to distribute it. Like on most systems, it's just a Go binary you can run. I mean, you can take it further than that if you want. But they've built something that's really pretty powerful, and it kind of results in something that is greater than its individual parts. And Nebula providing a simple way to do mesh networking is fantastic. And it, it has this facility called a lighthouse. And I'm not sure if we're still using that. So could you kind of explain our setup, Wes, since I know you did a little bit of hacking around on it this morning to get things back up and get us back in the studio?
0: Yeah, the lighthouse, well, it's quite an evocative name, isn't it? And it is there sort of acting as the beacon connecting all of these nodes. Things get tricky, especially when you have a lot of network address translation or NAT involved. And so ideally, you use these lighthouses on a few boxes that you can have some control over the firewall setup and ideally have a publicly exposed IP address. So what do we use for that? Well, of course, Linode. And actually, we had a backup lighthouse going on fake NAS. Although, mm, that's not working right now. The nice part is you can have multiple lighthouses and that just makes your network more robust. So you could also, you know, if you wanted to have, you already had a separate cloud provider, maybe you've got something at a family or a friend member's house, those are all nice options. You just need them to have some static IPs that you can configure to say, hey, look, this is where it lives. I know if I'm trying to talk to this node on the network, I can bootstrap myself by first talking to that lighthouse node That will help me punch through all of the NAT and get established connections that are peer-to-peer to to actually go SSH into, say, our recording machine at the studio. So let's talk a little bit more about the groups aspect of NetBuild, because if I recall, you've set up some
1: studio machine groups. Uh, There's like a Chris Machines group. I imagine there's probably a Wes Machines
0: group, so that way I don't go around fooling around with your stuff. Yeah, that's a really handy functionality that's just built right in. It's, It's quite modern. It seems to be inspired by a lot of, say, like AWS's... IAM policies, modern ways that you can control access in in cloud environments, or just in diverse networks. Because if you think about it, it's great to have all of your machines on one flat network, but you might really not want all of your machines talking to everyone else. Nebula, you can build that right in when you're setting up a new machine, you're generating their key pairs, getting the certs all set up, setting up the config. You can actually bake it in with the cryptography to say, this new host, they are a part of these groups. And then Other members on the Nebula network, in their configurations, they can decide which hosts and which groups they want to allow. So we can have rules that say anyone in the recording group can SSH to all the machines in the studio that you might need while trying to record a show. Or I could say like, hey, I want to be able to stream certain things from my house when I'm on the road, but well, Chris never needs to do that. So my machines won't let you in, but they'll always let, say, my Android phone in.
1: I like that a lot. And, and that's a, that is an, an example of something that enterprise could use for differentiating different server groups if they were, say, connecting multiple data centers together. I'm always kind of looking at it from that angle. Joe P. wrote into the show. He's really mastered Nebula since we talked about it last, and he shared
2: some tricks, some tips, and some cons that he's run into. Yeah, Joe P. writes, My main concern with it is what feels like the snail's pace of development since Nebula has become a defined networking project. There's incidents and pull requests piling up that get pretty much no attention. The second issue is that the documentation isn't at all good. The third issue is it's slower than something like Wired Guard. Okay, let's pause
1: there and address these here. I think the issue about it not getting a lot of fixes and the development being slow, I've noticed that a little bit myself, but that also feels like what happens when a project kind of becomes a mature project part of something like
0: the Define Networking Project, don't you think, Wes? Yeah, you know, it is new. They were able to start up a new company to sort of shepherd Nebula development. But you're right, the the most recent release was in May. That is a little while. And there are a lot of issues. Now, I haven't really gone through myself and sort of triaged and assessed how many of these are issues in expected functionality and how many of these are things that would be nice to have. There's also just some stuff in there with people with really tricky NAT situations that Nebula tries really hard to bust through, but it can't beat every single firewall or carrier-grade NAT out there. Unfortunately, yeah.
1: And to your point, they did do a release back in May. I mean, that's not so bad. Um, and then there's the performance part. You know, uh, Joe P points out that it's slower than WireGuard, and I just think there's no denying that wire. But WireGuard's a performance beast. I mean, that's one of its key things. Um, Nebula is solving a different problem. There. But I've never really had any issues with the performance.
0: Yeah. And performance is one of those tricky things, right? What's good enough for one use case or one person or one company won't be in others. Now, Slack, for their part, I mean, they were using this for pretty much all the back end communication between their hosts, you know, web apps pulling from databases, things like that. And, you know, Chris, you mentioned the orange ones right up. He's got some tips in there too. It sounds like Slack is seeing pretty good performance, but you may need to do some tuning to make sure Nebula works for you.
1: Okay. So with all of that out of the way, Brent, he does have some ways that he uses it that he
2: wanted to let us know about. Mm-hmm. He continues. All of the VPSs I have deployed have Nebula on them. I have all of my traffic for salt running over Nebula. All of my VPSs and other servers and even workstations all have salt minions running on them. I tell them to connect to the salt master via its Nebula IP. All of his Synology NAS devices run Nebula on them. While I'm not using this for data replication purposes yet, that will probably be a future use case, just to provide an additional location to have backup data.
1: I like that. I like using Nebula as a way to move backups around. And again, you can see how the groups and the firewall features could make it so that perhaps maybe some systems you can send to and they can't necessarily send to you. you, There could be some security there. He, He also included a few tips
2: for us. Yeah, he writes, Use more than one lighthouse for Nebula. I use three lighthouses in three different geographical locations with three different providers. At a minimum, I would set up two lighthouses, though, if only to make maintenance be non-disruptive. And number two, when you create your certificates, don't just choose a short name for a given machine. For instance, choose something like hostname.nebula instead of just hostname. In this case, it lets you take advantage of the DNS functionality that Nebula lighthouses can provide and avoids conflict with things like
0: .local name resolution. That might also come in handy if you choose to expand your network at some point. And last thing you want is to run into those darn name collisions. (laughs) The third tip he has
2: here I think might be the most important one for our situation. He writes, don't just rely on Nebula. I also use WireGuard where I can. Boy, doesn't that ring true today?
1: And you could say the reverse, too. Don't just rely on Nebula. Have a WireGuard backup. <laughs> have both.
0: I mean, I think between WireGuard, Nebula, SSH, we've got to be covered, right?
1: I hope so. And Rust Desk, too. That's part of it as well. Uh, John the Nice Guy's been playing around with Nebula. We'll have a link to a Raspberry Pi write-up that he did with Nebula using like a bash script. And it it really kind of has me thinking about how we're going to fix this when I get back. And I think in part what we should do, Wes, is we should remove WireGuard from fake NAS. So that way when fake NAS is having a problem or whatever the future NAS is going to be, because we're going to replace fake NAS in the fall or maybe sooner, we should have a separate device that is responsible for remote connectivity, like a Raspberry Pi device. Of
0: course you would suggest a Raspberry Pi. But that particular out of the way, yeah, I definitely think you're right. You know, we don't need everything centralized on one machine. I think we ended up in the situation just partly because, well, we had the machine going, it was ready to go, and it has good connectivity into the studio already. Plus, that's kind of where we've been running most of our backend server workload containers that do stuff at the studio, and we were playing with subspace and WireGuard. But as we've talked about on recent shows... We don't really need all that connectivity. We're not, you know, we are not hiring and firing new people who need access to the studio all the time. So I think you're right. A simpler, redundant setup could get us a long way. Redundant. Now that is, I think, going to be the key piece. So if anyone out there in the audience
1: has a way to do a hot pie failover for WireGuard and Nebula, let us know. I feel like that's going to be particularly tricky because you're trying to get two devices that can respond to a VPN connection request. And we'd like to have two pies running simultaneously. And if w- the primary one were offline for some reason, the secondary one would take over. I'm not really sure how we would pull this off, but I'm going to start noodling that on the drive around, you know, to Tucson and back home again. So if you've got any ideas, Linuxunplugged.com dot com slash contact and let me know. Ooh, it is a mess in here. Let me tell you. Now that Brent's gone, nobody's doing the dishes. <laughs> yeah, hey, I cleaned out the fridge. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We did. You should actually be really impressed, Brent. We, we, we really cleaned out the fridge because we wanted to reduce weight on the slide. So it's like a bare bones fridge, but now stuff flies around more that we're going down the road. <laughs> so you open the fridge and stuff comes shooting out. Uh, it's bad. It's bad, but uh, let's, we'll clean up. We'll clean that up another time. What I wanted to let you know about in the housekeeping is garden. Bryant has released a video of his time at system 76, and it's a little taste of what we saw. So we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Also, Linot did an interview with me. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We talked about Jupiter Broadcasting. We talked about going independent, hitting the one year mark, and being in Denver. So check that out. They were both pretty great. We'd also love to have you write in, give us show ideas, feedback, all that kind of stuff at linuxunplug.com slash contact. And if you like a more real-time ongoing conversation, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. Get in our telegram group. And then there's the, like, really high touch. That's the Mumble Room. Not only does it run during our show, but it's every single Sunday they're going in there with the virtual lug, having themselves a Linux beat-up that you can attend. And I know it seems like, oh, it's Sunday, noon Pacific. What am I going to ah, i got stuff to do. Trust me. We are social creatures. Even those of us who are introverts, this stuff is actually really good for us. So go get the Mumble info, linuxunplugcom slash mumble. And go hang out with some like-minded Linux geeks. And then last but not least, we do have show art stickers up at jupytergarage.com now. If you'd like to get a sticker for a device or a laptop, you know, I don't know what you got. Maybe you want to put it on a sword. Maybe you're a ninja. I don't know, but I got stickers for you at jupitergarage.com in various sizes.
0: Well, now that it looks a little more ship shape in here, I think we've got time for a pick. It's been a minute, though. That's why we've got something special this week. Enter Psst. A fast Spotify client with a native GUI, no electron involved. And yes, Chris, it's built in Rust.
1: Oh, this is good to see. Get rid of that electron. Get it out of here. I know we we harp on Electron a lot and it's become cliche, but I just want to make this point that while I have been in this cellular vortex of hell, waiting for Electron apps to load their UI components when they check in with the server and stuff has been miserable. Electron is worse on a slow internet connection. So not only do I have all the bloat on my machine, but then I have like this web app that's like connecting to a remote server and getting elements that just take forever to load. So psst, looks great. A multi-platform Spotify client written in Rust? No Electron? Heck yes. It's got limited Linux testing so far, so go give it a try and let the developer know how it's working. We'll have a link
0: in the show notes for that.
2: Hey guys, what's the name of the app again? Psst.
0: (laughs) That's PSST for you listeners out there. Right.
1: It's always easy just to go to linuxunplugged.com slash 421. I want to say thank you to A Cloud Guru. You can find them on social media, pretty much anywhere that's a social media site. Just go to slash A Cloud Guru, like the Twitters or the YouTubes. It's Just slash A Cloud Guru. It's real easy. If you do that Twitter thing, you can follow this here show at Linux Unplugged. I'm over there at Chris LES. What about you, Brent? Are you on the Twitter? I am. That's at Brent Gervais. Wes. And I'm
0: at Wes Payne.
1: Who knew? You guys should have said something. I, I would have been following you ages ago. The whole network's over there too, at Jupiter Signal. That's great for news announcements and stuff like this. I have no idea where I'm going to be next week, but we're going to do it live Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. See you next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Ah, yes. And if you work in the tech industry or you aspire to work in the tech industry, don't miss Linux Action News. Keep up with what's going on in the world of Linux and open source. Every Monday with Wes and I, we break it all down. Everything that matters in the most concise, clear package possible. Linuxactionnews.com. And then keep the Linux rolling with Linux Tuesdays. Join us live or subscribe at linuxunplugcom slash subscribe. Links to everything we talked about today, how to contact us, our Mumble server, our matrix server, and a whole lot more is all over at that website. Remember what it was? Yeah, that's right, linuxunplug.com. Thanks so much for joining us. See you back here next Tuesday. it just started raining oh really (laughs) we just missed the storm (laughs) wow nicely done guys sorry there's there will be a little bit of rain noise in the post show but talk about just hitting the window we did it you guys with
0: our podcasting powers combined it's almost like we're experts
1: yeah wow we literally started recording the instant it stopped raining
2: and we finished the instant it started again and uh it's that's good because it's gonna be raining for a few hours now i actually kind of like the sound it's very soothing uh, under your voice if it was just me we could just you could just listen but because it's the three of us
1: when i'm not talking my my track is cut and so yeah. it just comes and goes it's really weird <laughs> if only i had a rainmaker in my recording booth